growth track, you know that we talk about the way our church is organized and we are governed by three set of, of elders, what the New Testament calls elders. The first is our pastors and our pastoral team. Those are the people who help me lead this congregation week in and week out. They do the ministry and the work of our church and they empower you to do what God called you to do. And then the next layer of our church government are what we call trustees or people that help me make good financial decisions and they help make decisions about our church and its future fiscally and making sure that we're uh, making good decisions there. And then finally, we have a group of what we call overseers. These are three pastors from around the country who have proven ministry, who have decades of proven ministry in their field of ministry and in other areas. They are committed to uh, missions and the gospel of Jesus, and they're committed to uh, raising up life-giving churches around the country. And they help oversee my ministry, and they, they help oversee this church. I'm accountable to them. Even though we are non-denominational, we don't belong to any formal denomination or organization or answer to that, we still answer to a group of overseers that have full access to every part of my life personally and every part of our church. And they are so, so valuable. It's just a New Testament idea that they serve as apostolic elders or, or, or the, the office of an apostle. They really do oversee everything that we do here. And, and just they love you. They pray for you. They can, they're concerned about you. They ask about you. They know your name, some of you. Come on. Not the ones that I counsel. I'm talking about all the other ones. All the, <laughs> they, they know you and they love you so much. And uh, it is my prayer that you get to know them and that we have a relationship uh, with this church. And so I have made it a part of our rhythm that, we, that every year our overseers, as best as we can, we work them into our preaching schedule and preaching calendar. And it just so happens that this weekend we have the opportunity to do that. And so from Baltimore, Maryland, we have one of our overseers, Pastor Todd Gaddy. And Pastor Todd and I have been friends for over a decade now. We've served in various places. We've literally around the country together and in a variety of different ministry uh, spots. He pioneered a life-giving church in the Baltimore area, which starting a church in Texas is hard. Starting a church in the Northeast is really hard, everybody. And they pioneered, he and his family pioneered a brand-new life-giving church there over Almost 10 years ago, as a matter of fact, 10 years next year, they moved there uh, 10 years ago in January and have raised his family there and have raised up a power. I've preached there. I've, I've coached there. They've raised up a powerful, life-giving church where there wasn't one already. And you are in for a treat today. Would you honor me and honor our overseers by standing all over the house? Would you put your hands together and welcome my friend, Pastor Todd Getty? Thanks, everybody. You can be seated. Great to be at City Hills today. It's exciting to be here on the last day of the year. Uh, turn to someone. You've probably done it already, and maybe at home you've done it with your family. Turn to someone and say, Happy New Year. Would you do that right now? Turn to someone else next to you also and say, 2018 is going to be awesome. Say that. I believe that. I really, really do. I know that's easy to say on New Year's Eve, especially in a church. But I really, really do believe that. It's great to be in church this morning. Uh, it's great to see so many familiar, a few familiar faces and a lot of unfamiliar faces. I, before, I pray before we get done today that the unfamiliar becomes the familiar. So let's, let's hook up at the end of the service and get connected a little bit more. It's great to serve City Hills. And I want to say on behalf of the team as well, if you're here for the very first time, you made a very wise decision ending the year together at City Hills. And we welcome you. We're very, very happy 
you're here. Uh, I've had a great visit. Yesterday, in fact, we, I told my kids and my wife uh, last night, but yesterday afternoon, we went to this place called New Bromfels. Am I saying that right? Some of y'all live near there, right? We specifically went there for the reason that um, absolutely blew me away. We went down Highway 46, exactly, 46, and we uh, turned a corner. As we turned a corner, there was this very, very large sign towering over the highway. And we turned around the corner, and there was, I want to make sure I say it right, Bucky's. Y'all, I have never in all my life seen anything like that. It was truly phenomenal. I called my, I called my family just because of that. And I turned to my, I talked to my uh, 14-year-old daughter. I said, Michaela, we went to this place called Bucky's. I, I text them pictures in the midst of the visit. I said, it was unbelievable. I said, there were 65 gas pumps. There were 26 ice machines outside. And there was a grocery store worth of everything else. And she said in a very specific 14-year-old way, she said something we all know, right? It doesn't get much bigger than Texas. That's what she said. It's true. It's been a great visit. Thank you for making me feel welcome. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Thank you to Pastor Mitch, Pastor Randy for their leadership. And it's a privilege to serve City Hills. I read a uh, story the other day of a church in, I think it was North Carolina, and uh, the church was a young church, and, and they had purchased a building off of a highway there, not far from where they began the church, and they were there for a period of time, and um, a, a new merchant came in right next door to this church, and when the new merchant began to pour pylons and all that for the building they were building, they, uh, this church got interested in what was being built there, and so they put out some feelers of what was being going to go in next door. And they found out, lo and behold, that what was being built right next door to the church was an adult store, an adult bookstore. Well, you can imagine, that's a little problematic for a church. And so this church decided to get a contingent of elders and walk over to where the building was going on and they, they made acquaintance with the people who were responsible for that decision to put that there and they, they said you know what, we, we've got a problem with you all being next to us we've got a real problem with that, that's going to look bad on the church uh, we, we really don't want that, in fact we, we're just going to we're just going to tell you straight up we don't want you here and the, the owners of the, the soon to be built property there they said well that's too bad we're here, we're going to build that. And so the elders of the church received that word, and they said, well, okay, but I'll just tell you right now, we're going to pray to God and ask him to shut you down. And so they did. They had prayer meetings at the church for that to occur. A few months later, the story goes on to say that a storm came through the area, and lightning struck the adult store and burned it to the ground. The adult store owners decided they were going to sue the church and they took a, a court case to the court and they took them to court and they said your honor this church said they're going to pray to God for him to burn our store down and he did the elders responded in court by saying your honor we just prayed 
we, we, we didn't have anything to do with that store burning down. The judge was a little bit puzzled. He said, I've got a little bit of a, a, a problem here, an irony. He said, on one hand, I have people who own a porn store who believe that God answers prayer. And on the other hand, I have a church that prays that doesn't believe God answers prayer. <laughs> How many of you believe God answers prayer? I believe God answers prayer. In 2017, our pastor said it well. There have been many prayers that you've prayed, some prayers I've prayed that God has answered. I do believe God answers prayer. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if God answered prayers that fast all the time? Have you ever prayed a prayer and it seemed like it was a prayer and it was on fast track to God and you prayed it and it seemed like almost instantly uh, God answered that prayer? Uh, maybe for some of us that's an encouraging thought because there may be some of us here today, if the truth be told, if we pulled back the facade of our life, we would see a, 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 a significant state of depression some things we're working through. Maybe, maybe there's some marriage issues we're kind of struggling through and we've prayed about it. Maybe there's some work problems that we're navigating through and we've prayed not a few prayers about God fixing those things. And so to hear the idea that maybe God could instantly answer the prayer is, can be a very encouraging thing. For example, let's make it real practical. Pastor Mitch mentioned a moment ago, if you're here and you're single, wouldn't it be great if, if after the guy from Maryland gets done preaching... And you go out to your car, some good-looking person's out there leaning against your car. You've been praying your whole adult life, God, send me someone. And he or she leaned against the car, and you walk up to your car, and they say, hey, good-looking. What are you doing the rest of your life? Wouldn't that be great? That'd be phenomenal. Wouldn't it be great if we are going through perhaps some financial struggles, and we walk out of Starplex today, and as we walk out onto the patio, someone walks up with a bag and says, you know what, I can't do anything with this bag of money here. You have it. God, answer that prayer. Come on, Lord. But God doesn't always do that, does he? God doesn't always instantly answer prayer. Here, here's the deal. It normally doesn't work that way at least in my experience, and I think probably I'm not the only one. In 2018, we're going to pray some prayers, and they're going to be bold prayers, and they're going to be prayers that are very meaningful to us about a lot of meaningful things in our life. And there's going to be times that God answers very quickly, but I'd like to suggest that probably the majority of the time, God may not answer as quickly as we would like him to. Has anyone experienced that in your life? Some of us are still praying prayers that we began years ago. Uh, here's why sometimes it's important to realize that, because sometimes you and I, and I, I speak for myself more than anybody else, sometimes we can get tripped up, can't we? We can get a little bit uh, confused about God when he doesn't respond the way we want him to. Sometimes we can pray, and we can pray with faith, and we can pray with, with energy, and we can pray with passion, and sometimes our prayer is, God, would you do this for me? And inside of that is a script that says, God, I want you to do this, and do it this way. And yet, when God doesn't do it that way, that can cause us to get confused. Jesus talked a little bit about this in the scriptures in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16. He used a verse specifically at the end of what people call the upper room discourse. It was a sermon simply that Jesus preached in, a, in, a, in an upper room, an upper facility of a building. And he preached for quite some time in John chapter 14 and 15 and 16. And he talked about prayer and he talked about connecting with God through him, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, he said words like this, I'm leaving you 
I'm going to leave you before too long, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, he went on and he began to describe a new kind of relationship. He talked about a, a vine and a branch. And that if we're going to be connected to God, it can't just be kind of on the periphery. We're going to be connected as a vine and a branch are together. My life, Jesus says in John 15, is going to flow through you. And then he wraps up this discourse in John 16. And he begins to talk about prayer. And that the Holy Spirit, who he promised would come, is going to convict us. And not only convict us, but reside Within us, And then he closes it with this great illustration, and he uses an idea of a woman in labor, a woman pregnant in labor, and the pain that comes through that. Some of you moms, you know what we're talking about there, but after she delivers that baby, all the pain she went through kind of goes by the wayside. Why? Because she's holding the answer. She's holding the child. And Jesus is talking about this illustration. And in John chapter 16, verse 24, he says this right here at the end of the verse. Here it is. He says, ask and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be fulfilled. Turn to a neighbor next to you and say, ask. Say with just a City Hills passion. Ready? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We know, don't we, that asking is the easy part. Asking for whatever it may be, that's the, that's the easy part. Receiving, that's the hard part. It takes us, what, about two or three seconds to say the phrase, ask and you shall receive. But how many of you know it takes about two weeks or two months or two years to get the receiving of what we ask for in this new year, in 2018? At times, there's going to be a gap between what we ask and what we receive. We, we sometimes, again, create a script for God. I remember growing up as a, a kid in Chicago, and I, I got to the ages of my young boyhood where I started to think that girls were okay. They didn't have cooties. They weren't evil. In fact, they were kind of, 1970s alert coming up, groovy. And so I began to pray, because I was taught as a kid, ask and you will receive. And so I began to pray. I remember sitting on the blue comforter on my twin bed. I sat on the edge of the bed and I said, God, you know I want a girlfriend. So, Lord, I pray that you will send me a girlfriend. You said, ask and you will receive. So I'm asking, and God, I'm going to receive in Jesus' name. And I prayed that prayer, and I went down a list. Now, you all just kind of, I know I'm a little OCD, but go with me for a moment. I prayed, God, I would like her to have this color hair. I would like her to be this height. That's a big deal for a short guy. I'd like her to be this height. I'd like her to be smart. I'd like her to like me. I went down the list. And I went to school the next day after the first time I prayed that prayer, Pastor Mitch. And I, I looked. My radar was up. Ask and you will receive. Didn't quite happen exactly the way I thought. But God has a way sometimes of of causing or allowing a gap to occur. And sometimes when that script that we have for God isn't fulfilled the way we'd like it to be, we can become confused and maybe flustered. And let me just take a step further. Sometimes we can hear what he's saying or lack of what he's saying, and we can say, you know what, maybe this isn't exactly the way my life needs to go. Maybe this God thing isn't exactly what people say it is. And there are people, I'm convinced, I've been there, maybe you have too, who get to a point of saying, you know what, I think I might just check out. 
God's not answering. I, I thought I could ask and receive, but there's something there that's not computing. There's something not working. And sometimes we can remember that God doesn't answer that way. But remember this. If he doesn't answer right away, don't give up. That's right, Pastor Todd. Preach that a while. Let me say it again. If God doesn't answer right away, if you get into January praying prayers that he doesn't answer until the middle of the year or in December or 19 comes and it's still not there, don't give up. Remember, if God doesn't answer a prayer the way we think he should, maybe he's doing something beyond what we can even imagine. Maybe he's ordering things around to give us the answer eventually. And if we'll just stay connected to him, it's going to be all right. Some of us perhaps were ready to give it all up. I, I, I dare say perhaps some of us at times in our lives were ready to check out of life because God didn't answer. Hold on. God is still working in our life. Let me give you two points real quick to kind of put in your mind as we head into the new year. The first is this. It's very simple. God will never, everyone say never. God will never give you something you're not ready for. The delay that we have at times with God oftentimes isn't God. It's us. Because God will never give us something we're not ready for. We can pray, and sometimes we pray earnestly, but sometimes God's delay is simply God allowing us to enter into a time of understanding a bit more clearly so that he can then give us what we ask him for. But at the present moment, we may not be ready. Let me say it this way. Because God is a father, he will not give us a position or a possession that we're going to lose through our immaturity. God desires to give us something that our immaturity is not going to sabotage. And so he will put us into school to educate us and help us to move along so that we're ready for what we ask God for. God desires to give us, but he will not give us something we're not ready for. When we ask, it's not the thing we get, it's the journey that we get that gets us ready for the thing we ask for. You with me, everybody? God, I, I ask for this. Why is it getting harder? God, why? I, I, I asked you for it. I believe you. You said ask and you'll Why is it getting harder? Maybe it's the journey he has us on to place us in the school that gets us ready for the very thing we are believing God for. We're looking for the thing, but God gives us the journey, the school, so that we can handle the thing. It's the difference between what we ask for and what we're ready for. A man years ago, many, many years ago, a, a preacher of, of some renown, his name was Leonard Ravenhill. He said, today, as ministers, we prepare for three years to preach for 30 years. He said, but Jesus studied for 30 years to preach for three years. Sometimes it's the preparation that we need. Sometimes it's the, it's the schooling, it's the journey. That's not nearly as sexy as answered prayer, but it gets us ready and places us in a place where we have an even greater testimony. One of the greatest things we can say of our life is this, God's getting me ready. God is preparing me 
God's getting me prepared. God wants to do something for us. But hear me, God wants even more to do something in us. I, I, I think we, we can remember God will never give us something we're not ready for. Big doors swing on, on little hinges, don't they? As we faithfully do the little things, God's preparing us for the bigger things. If we look in the scriptures in the book of Acts chapter 7, we read of a man named Stephen. How, let me ask you a question. How would you prepare to preach the second longest sermon of the New Testament next to the Sermon on the Mount? How would you prepare to preach that? Oh, Todd, I would, I'd study. I'd study hard. I'd get myself cloistered in a closet and I'd, I'd, re, I'd read as much as I could and get prepared. The answer to that is this, Stephen. First, you need to serve widows. You need to feed them food and serve them, and they have no capability of paying you back. They have no capability of making you world-renowned. But God said, Stephen, before you can preach that second longest sermon, that vital message of the New Testament, you need to prepare yourself in a way that nobody else can. You need to go to school. Your journey begins before I give you the mic to preach. I'm going to give you a school to go through to get you ready for the mic. When you want to get on stage, but perhaps it's your turn at the, in, the, in the kids' rooms, you're saying, Todd, I'd like to be up there. Here, you can have the Kleenex and runny noses. I want to be there. Here's what you can do. Wipe those kids' noses with passion. Why? Because God's getting you ready. But Todd, I'd like to sing. And I, I love being in hospitality, but I want to sing. We'll sing them to their seat. Welcome to City Hills. Here's a chair right here for you. God may not answer right away, but whatever you're doing, do it with all your might. Why? Because God's getting you ready for what you're desiring to do. God's getting you ready for something greater. You see, we sometimes, again, get God kind of mixed up in how he works. Here's how corporate America works, right? We just keep going up. We keep going up. We keep going up. We keep going up. Here's how God works. He doesn't work like corporate America. He works like this. Boring, faithful, 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 mundane, 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 and then pow! God has a way of elevating us at the right time. If we'll be faithful in the little things in 2018, God will do amazing things in our life. Why? Because it's the school, and God will never... Give to us what we're not ready for. He does this. Why? So the promotion can only give credit to God and not us. God prepares us. He did it for Stephen. He did it for Joseph. In the Old Testament, Joseph had a dream when he was age 17. He, he said, the dream said this, Joseph, you're going to be a great leader one day. Your brothers are going to bow down before you. You're going to be a great, great influential leader. And, and, and what it didn't say, of course, was the curriculum to get to being a great leader. Here's what happened to get him to be a great leader. Age 17, he got the dream. Here's what happened. He was betrayed by the closest people in his life. He was going to be accused of something that he can't defend himself. And people are going to make promises to him that they can't deliver on. Peter, I mean, rather, uh, Joseph, I got to get you in a sweet enough spirit so that when that does happen, all those things right there happen, you're not going to lash out. Age 17, the dream came. I need you to keep your mouth shut. I want to prepare some things inside of you for you to keep your mouth shut when, you, when, when, when things happen to you. That, so that when that do happen, you can answer them with a nice, calm, faithful, reasoned way. 
I think sometimes, and I only speak for myself, I think sometimes God wants me to understand there's some things I need to just kind of keep my mouth shut about, and the only way I learn that is for him not to answer right away. And so he gets me ready for the, the answer by preparing my heart. Joseph, if I can get you through the curriculum, if I can just bring you through the school, I'm going to make you the second in charge of the entire known world. So just stay with me. It took 23 years for Joseph to get from dream to leader. Anyone still want that answered prayer? All the stuff that goes with it? And yet God had a way of elevating Joseph at the right time. It was mundane, perhaps a little boring, faithful, faithful, faithful. But finally God gave him what he asked for. We sometimes think delay is denial. But actually, it's a school called maturity. It's giving inside of us something. Delay is not God's inability. It's my immaturity at times, which God is going to solve on the journey. God, I, I, I want to grow. God says, I'm going to teach you to grow. Just hang in there. So God will never give us something we're not ready for. Here's the second thing, and it's simple. We do one thing. When we do that, we do one thing, and when that happens, what happens? We do one thing, and God does 10,000 things. We do one thing, and God does 10,000 things. Let me tell you, everybody, City Hills, listen. This will liberate us when we realize this. When we pray, and we pray, God, here's the thing. We pray for one thing. In the midst of that, God says, okay, and gets busy doing 10,000 things. It'll liberate us. If we will understand this point only right here, it will change those of us who worry constantly. I'm told, not in Texas, but in Maryland, there are people who worry. Especially the guy preaching right now. Sometimes worry can consume us to the point that it's just almost debilitating in our life. God, I don't know how this is going to work out. God, I prayed and it didn't answer. You haven't answered. God, I, I believe you, but things aren't working. God, did I leave the iron on? God, did I close the garage door? On and on. And God, are my kids going to turn out all right? God, is someone going to harm my, my husband or spouse? It's on and on. But in the midst of praying for things to God, we pray one thing and God gets busy doing 10,000 things. He works behind the scenes. Now, I, I want to share with you an idea very quickly. For some of us here today, in fact, all of us, let me just say this. This is easy for a preacher to say on New Year's Eve at a church in Bernie, Texas. You ready? You were meant to be here. Amen. You were meant to be here. It doesn't matter if I'm saying that or someone else. You're not here by accident. It's not happenstance. You were meant to be here. Pastor Todd, I'm here all the time. You were meant to be here today. Pastor Todd, I've never been to City Hills. I've never been to Starplex. Maybe I have for a movie, but I've never been here for church. You were meant to be here. Some of us perhaps even came into church today, and the unspoken but very prevalent thought in our mind was this. God, I just need something from you. I, I just need a word. You know what 17 was like. You know maybe some of the rough stuff I've... God, I just 
need to know you're there. Has anyone ever prayed a prayer like that? I just need to know that you're even listening to what I'm saying. In the midst of that, God has a way of getting us where we need to be. Here's why I can say you were meant to be here today. Because I want to walk you through what it took for this service to occur today. You ready? Put your seatbelt on. God knew that you were going to pray that prayer. God in his all-knowing power knew that even unspoken, you were going to breathe a prayer that said, God, I need something from you today as I end the, the year. And so, God knew that he needed to get Pastor Mitch to invite a short guy from Maryland to come to preach on New Year's Eve. And so, a few things had to happen for that to occur. I had to decide to go to college in Illinois, in northwest Illinois. I had to decide to go to college and two years into college get a little bit confused about what my majors were going to be and if I even wanted to be in that college anymore. He had to get me to a place of discontent, so I decided to transfer to a college, a university in St. Louis my junior year. He had to get me to St. Louis. But when I got to St. Louis and I went through my junior year of college and my senior year of college and I, I got my degree, he had to get me to apply to law school. He had to get me to apply to eight law schools with the idea that I was going to be the next uh, law and order guy. And he had to get me to fill out those applications and spend $450 way back in the 20th century. That's a lot of money. And spend all that money to get me to apply for law school. And so he had to get me to do that, so I applied to law school. And he had to get me ready because he was going to close every single one of those eight doors. And when he did that, he had to get me to then decide, okay, well... If I'm not going to go to law school, maybe I'll go out to California. I heard there's a good Bible, uh, spirit-filled Bible college out there, and I'll just go out there. So he had to get me to get in my Ford Escort, 1988. That was a bad car. Get in that Ford Escort and drive to Stockton, California, and enroll in that college and spend two years of my life studying the Bible. He had to get me there. And he had to get me to graduate there. And God had to get me to graduate there and then get offered a job as a student pastor. One in St. Louis, another job offer in Orlando, Florida. And he had to work hard to get me to accept the St. Louis one. Who accepts the St. Louis over Orlando? But he had to get me to do that. So I accepted the position. I started to be a student pastor at a church in St. Louis. And he had to get me to a place where I would be asked by some folks to head up some youth ministry outside of my local church. And he had to get me to a place of being offered a job that was a, a, a kind of a national student ministry job. He had to get through my thick skull to accept that position in St. Louis and begin to travel every single weekend promoting student ministry, promoting the gospel, promoting reaching young people. He had to get me to a place of getting my team together of student ministry leaders there in St. Louis and putting together the idea of a, a student conference and go to site visits and pick out cities to go. And he had to get me to get to this one conference in specifically. And so I got a team together in St. Louis. And we went there and we recruited some other people from other parts of the country to, uh, to supervise and do that student conference. And I met for the first time as one of the helpers of that student conference, I met this guy named Mitch Rose. And right off the bat, I thought, yeah, he's a real deal. He's a real deal. 
his attention to detail, his godly approach to life, his passion and love for people. And then I met his wife, and she blew him away. Great couple, fantastic couple. And we began a friendship. God had to get us to that place of that friendship developing. So that then later on, years later, as we decided to move from Maryland, from St. Louis to Maryland, knowing nobody, starting a church and calling friends, a small circle of friends we developed, one of which was this guy named Mitch Rose. Mitch, I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll feel called to Maryland. Go for it, Todd. You can do it. Got a U-Haul, and we packed it up, and we moved to Maryland, and we started Life Church. Several years later, I got a call from him my way. Todd, we're thinking about starting a church. We went through a couple of options of places. Remember those calls? And I'll never forget the, the call that he placed to me. God had to get us to this place where he said, we decided to plant a church, and we've decided a place. I said, Where? He said, Bernie, Texas. My next response was, where's that? He said, outside San Antonio. God had to get us to that place. I remember launch day. I remember subsequent phone calls. And then I remember another call that was placed several months ago. When that man called this man. He said, we'd like you to come and speak at, at our church for New Year's Eve. And here we are. We do one thing, and God does 10,000. You pray for that thing. You pray for that issue. And God says, I may not answer it right now, and there's a reason why I'm not answering it, because you're not quite ready for it. I'm not being sadistic. I just got to get you ready for it. And while you're waiting and in school and the curriculum is being enacted in your life, if you'll be faithful, I'm going to get busy doing 10,000 things so that it's then time for me to act. Why can I say that you and I were meant to be here today? Because God did 10,000 things to get us where we are today. God has it all in control. The scripture says it this way. Don't worry about anything. I read that the other day and I thought, that surely is a mistake in the Bible. It says it, doesn't it? Some of you, some of you know the Bible. Don't worry about anything. But with everything, pray. Cast your cares on God. Don't, why? Why not worry? Because God's doing 10,000 things. Some of us have loved ones that are apart from God. Keep praying. Keep believing. In 18, make that a major focus. You may not see it right away, but don't be deceived. God is doing 10,000 things to bring them closer to Him. It's His will that they come close to Him. Believe Him. God's doing 10,000 things. It was a year and a half ago. I wish I could tell you the exact day. I just know it was a year and a half ago. It was the early... March 2016 or so. I uh, started to just go through a little period of not feeling very well, and um, I, um, you know, told my wife, I just, I don't know, I feel just out of sorts. I, I got sick to my stomach, and I couldn't keep anything down. And I, I, even, even 
my vision got a little bit skewed. I, I wasn't seeing real clearly and in a crisp way, and it was just, just kind of a very uncomfortable few days. She said, well, well, why don't you go to the doctor? Nah. Just kept on. Finally, after about three or four days, I, I'm really at the low point. I, I, I can't get out of bed. Things are not good. It wasn't the flu. It wasn't anything like that. I just felt really out of sorts, dehydrated. Finally, my, my, my family was away for the day, and I'm by myself, and I thought, I got to do something. This is awful. I called one of our leaders. I said, is there any way you can come by the house and pick me up and take me to the ER? I feel awful. He did. We went to the ER. I got hooked up and got hydrated a little bit more. Felt a little bit stronger. Went to the doctor a couple days later, my primary doctor, and he said, well, it seems to be doing a little bit better. I said, yeah, but my vision's still kind of messed up, and I just don't feel the best. He said, well, let's kind of see what the next couple days do. And he sent me to another person and the specialist, and they looked. They said, we can't find anything. He said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's do an MRI just to make sure that everything's okay, you know, in your, in your brain, in your spine, all that stuff just to make sure I rule anything out. I don't think there's anything to worry about. Let's just do that. I said, all right. Scheduled the MRI. Went into the tube. If you've ever been to an MRI, don't go. It's awful. Laid there for 90 minutes while the things buzzed and lights flashed and I was uncomfortable. And finally they got, got me out and said, okay, you're free to leave. Fully expecting to go back home. I did. I went back home and went through the rest of the day gradually feeling better. About a day after the MRI, my... Uh, my doctor called and said, Todd, um, I don't really want to call like this, but I need to tell you, on the MRI, there was, uh, there was something anomaly that is concerning to us. They said, um, we, we found when we did the MRI on the back of your brain, we found a lesion. I wasn't even sure exactly what that meant. They said it's, it's, it's specific shape points to something. And I said, what does that mean? What do you mean? She said, by all indications, when we did the MRI and found that lesion, and then another one in the front on the left side, the lesion's shape is very indicative of a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. I said, are you sure? She said, well, we're fairly confident. In fact, we want you to come in, and we want to talk to you. Now, that wasn't on my radar. And so I did, when I hung up the phone, guys, I did the thing I had been taught all my life as a Christian young person, and now an adult. I set the phone down, and I said, God, I wasn't expecting that. God, take it away. Help it not to be that. Please, take it away. And I tried to have as much faith as I could. I tried to encourage myself that God's able to heal any disease, which I believe he is still able to heal any disease. And I went to the doctor about a day later. I sat down with Dr. Michael Levy at Johns Hopkins. He said, Mr. Gaddy, we want to show you the scans here. And they showed me the scans. And sure enough, there it is, this hook kind of looking lesion right back here. Another one right over here. He said, that's every indication of multiple sclerosis. Your, your brain 
there's scarring on those lesion points and the electrical impulses can't get through and they have to reroute a different way and that's causing what you're experiencing, the vision issues and the, 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 the stomach issues and that tingling you describe in your legs, that's very, very symptomatic of multiple sclerosis. I really, I, I hate to tell you this, but, but you do have multiple sclerosis. It's not going to kill you. It doesn't, it's a disease that doesn't kill you. But unless something strange happens, you're going to live the rest of your life with these symptoms remitting and relapsing, remitting and relapsing. And my wife is sitting there and tears are beginning to well up in her eyes. We left Dr. Levy's office. We got in the car and we turned to each other and we said, now what do we do? And there has not been one day since April 25th, 2016 that I have not prayed that God would totally heal me of MS. He hasn't done that yet. But maybe, maybe he has a bigger plan. Maybe, quite possibly and probably, something inside of me God wants to do in a way greater than taking away the disease would create. God's not sadistic, but he wants to do something in me even more than he wants to do something for me. So I pray, and God starts to do 10,000 things to create me to a place that I can be close to him. Todd, I've been praying a lot about this. Keep praying. Keep believing. God may not answer right away. Asking may be quick here. Receiving may be a long time away. Keep praying. Keep believing. Because God is doing something in each of us to get us ready for that time when he does answer. It may be a long time from now. We may not understand it till we get to heaven. But allow God to do something in 18 that gets us ready for that. You believe that with me? I believe with all my heart. We're not guaranteed answers right away, but there's one prayer. I thought of this this morning. There's one prayer that when we pray, God always answers immediately. Always. Here it is. You ready? Romans chapter 10. If we confess with our mouth. This Pentecostal kid is about to do a somersault because this means so much to me. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead, when we pray that prayer, we will be saved. You don't have to go into 18 wondering if it happened. If you believe and you confess, you will be saved. Pastor Todd, what are you saying? I'm saying keep praying about whatever you're praying about. But if you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, pray that prayer and leave today knowing God has answered that prayer. Leave today different today than in the way you came. God always answers that prayer. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to lead us in a prayer. I want you to say it with me, not because it's magical words, but because it focuses on what we really believe in this I want you to say it out loud with me, especially if you're here today and your life up to this point has never been given to Jesus Christ. 
but you know in your heart he's the only way to God. He's the only answer to God. Your past is behind you. You're willing to put it behind you and make him the Lord of your life, first place in your life, and you're willing to say, Todd, I'm going to join with you. I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to pray. No one prays alone. Let's pray out loud. Would you say these words with me? Dear God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I lay my life before you. All of the stuff in the past, all of the sin and the mistakes, I turn to you. God, I give you my heart. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And God, I believe when I do that right now you're saving me. Right now you're making me new. And I'm going to start this upcoming year next to you saved. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. In all the other, thank you for getting me ready. And I pray it all believing in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Would you join with me and give God a great applause for having answered prayer today.